a nice intro. Yeah. Like That's softly. In <laughs> you like the elevator music, Brandon? Like you could like kind of hum it or something. What elevator music? You could. How many? You want you want me to sing, Rich? Yeah, I love we, when you we tried that on one of our podcasts. I don't think it went over that well. The, the Fresh Prince didn't go over well. <laughs> the, the, the... I got I got very negative feedback on my abilities. <laughs> yeah. Um, whatever else he needs or tells Stu. Okay. Here, I just put you know. Welcome everyone that's joining. I'm going to start momentarily. A Zoom. Yeah, there's still a lot of people joining, so. Let's give yeah. it a couple of minutes. It's moving or pretty seconds. quickly. Yeah, what? We'll started in just no, a second. We could maybe like 30 seconds. I'll filibuster until we should be ready to start. And, well, uh, all I know yeah. is ye yesterday was a really bad day for New York sports fans. That's all I have to say. And when is it yesterday. not? <laughs> <laughs> um, the Islanders had a good run, by the way. That is true. Yeah. <laughs> bad day for, for me and Walt. Walt, I have that image you have behind you down in my basement autographed by Nick Foles. Oh, that's amazing. That's my guy. How was that that Super Bowl? Now we're now I'm wondering whether we should have just kept him and just made the transition to Jalen in a couple yes. of years. This has been a brutal two games. <laughs> it's awful. Jesus. <laughs> okay, so we're gonna get started. This is Rich Greenfield for Lightshed Live. I'm joined by Walt Pisick and Brandon Ross, my partners at Lightshed. We're really excited today to have um, Barstool Sports and Penn Gaming. We've got Jay Snowden from Penn Gaming, the CEO. We've got Dave Portnoy, who needs no introduction, as the founder of Barstool Sports, and Erica Nardini, the CEO of Barstool Sports, who's turned this into more of a business than, than I think anyone could ever have imagined a few years ago when we first sat down. Um, maybe just as a way of intro, because I think you know, we've got a large financial uh, community um, interest in, in Barstool and Penn Gaming. Dave, you've been you've sort of reinvented yourself during COVID as a day trader. Where did this come from? Like, have you always been trading stocks, or like, where did this whole day trader CNBC follows you religiously? Like, how did this this kind of transformation happen over the last six months? Yeah. So prior to this, I think I had bought one stock, maybe two. Like, I bought Twitter, got murdered a long time ago, and I had. Uh, so I had an E-Trade account, but it was probably like 10 years old. Um, and, you know, we knew we were doing the Sportsbook app. And then sports COVID hit and sports basically went away. Uh, and I was looking for something to do. So it started as a gimmick. We have a guy, Large, who was a former trader. And I basically said, you know, I wore a suit one day and said, I was going to start day trading. And I think I was taking advice from like one of our guys, Glenny Balls, who's kind of a rotund fellow who like, you know, eats burgers and does burger reviews. And he was basically, you know, he's telling me to buy Shake Shack. like some traders I know. Hungry at lunch. That was his philosophy. So we just started doing it. And, uh, you know, I, I talked in the same tone that I kind of like pushed that back. I, I talked in the same tone that I talk about everything. It, it's kind of authentic to me in a very barstool uh, way. And I talked to our audience, the barstool audience. So they know me and they're following me. And really, it took off. I think I was getting killed in the beginning. Um, we noticed. Just, what's that? We noticed. Yeah. So, and then I decided I was going to go in on the airlines, and Spirit was at like seven. So I gave this big speech. I'm going airlines, cruises, and like five minutes after I did that, Warren Buffett was like, "I'm I'm out on all the airlines." I mean, it was almost. I said one thing, he said the other. 
And then everyone's like, well, Dave, what are you going to do? Well, I'm like, I don't care what Warren Buffett says. And then almost instantaneously, <laughs> the airlines went through the roof. Like it went from seven to 20 quickly. And I was like, oh, Warren Buffett's an idiot. I'm smarter than he is. And again, it's still in the Barstool tone, but other financial people then took the quote from the stream and just started showing up everywhere. Like Dave Porton, I think he's smarter than Warren Buffett. And I just went in on it uh, and played with it. And I had a lot of success. I got very hot. The stock market went nuts. And I was saying stocks always go up. And, and you know, it, it just momentum built. And next thing you knew, I was the uh, most talked about guy on Wall Street, which I still think right now I kind of am. Like, yeah, no matter I, what I say, people are all over it. Positive. I'll tell you, I'll tell you this. I mean, what we do for a living, we talk to, we talk to people about stocks, give them advice, so on and so forth. Stocks are moving and people are calling me up asking, what did DT, DDTG say? Right. I'm like, I don't know. Like now I have to, in addition to following like everything else that's happening in the world, be like streaming your commentary <laughs> <laughs> on stocks. Yeah. To, 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 <laughs> to what extent is this becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy, do you think, where you're kind of moving your stoolies, so to speak, um, in, into equities and, and moving stocks? Yeah, do, do you I have mean... that much power yet? I wish I did. I think that's kind of overblown. I like playing it up. I mean, a lot of the stocks that I'm, um, I'm trading are pretty big stocks. Obviously, if I go into like a penny stock, like at one point I bought a stock, someone sent me an email and I didn't really know what I was doing. So I, I like read it out loud and then it moved from like up 10% to like up 70% by the time I finished the, the email. But I don't really mess with those. A lot of the stocks, and this is where people... I think there's the Robin Hood crowd who certainly follows me and it's like younger, but I'm not like beating people to stocks. I'm talking about stocks that are already like being traded heavily and have heavy momentum. To be honest, I'm trading so much money. I don't look for the little ones because I get trapped in them. I'd move it like so much. So I don't know, maybe there's a little bit certain days, uh, I, the, the thing that I think I'm most accurate, I do think the whole stock market is basically one big gambling racket. And I think the suits, as I call them, uh, like to think they're a lot smarter than they are. And, you know, the, the, the day trading and all, you know, whether it's trade zero, people like that, it, it's open it to anybody. So and I think they're mad. Like, I think there's a lot of mad, but I don't think I'm like, moving so i've seen all sorts of conspiracy theories of what i'm doing and manipulating i'm not i'm very transparent and it's all my own money so i i don't think i'm moving it as much as people give me credit for but i like taking the credit for it i think it's great entertainment and it's been phenomenal for the band the brand i've, I've loved watching many many of those pre-market and post-market and mid-market updates so those yeah. are awesome um Erica, maybe you can help us kind of think about where Barstool is today. Like, how do you define it? I mean, I guess historically, you know, not to put labels, but I guess you could say sports comedy brand skewing male. Now you've got top female podcasts. You've got a podcast. Obviously, Dave, as he was just talking about, was regularly um, cited on CNBC, Deion Sanders. You just actually hired a guy that I follow over in the UK, Troops. Um, who's huge. Um, so kind of let us, tell us, level set us on kind of what Barstool uh, is today. Yeah. I mean, I think Barstool is the same 
as it always was, we've just evolved and grown. But at, at the heart of it, you know, when Dave started Barstool, he covered what he knew and talked about sports. He talked about gambling. He talked about Boston media. He talked about his personal life. Like he, he talked about what he was interested in, in a way that was very funny, in a way that appealed to regular guys. And to be honest with you, in large part, we're doing the same thing today. It's just with way more people. Uh, some of those people come from extraordinary places like Dion. Other ones are, are just different versions of Dave. You know, Troops is a great example. He lives in UK. He's an Arsenal fan. He covers football the way an ardent fan covers football. He's prolific with his content. He's maniacal about talking to his fans and I think we've we have built a very big platform around people who connect with other people who people who create content, you know, at low cost, people who are more interested in what they have to say or the joke or their point of view than the production value and the studio and the set. And then we've done a really good job of monetizing that and making sure that the monetization of the company is in line with the fandom of the company. So, I mean, you guys are wearing our merch. Um, thanks for wearing our merch, Brandon. Um, oh, sorry. So like, <laughs> Maybe you should send me some. Yeah. He was giving me a shit for wearing the merch before. Uh, so anyways, but out. like, you, you know, when somebody wears your t-shirt or your sweatshirt or your hat, like it's a great compliment. That's, that is a, that's a great compliment to our brand, our people, our company, and it helps grow our business. And We've built our business independently. We are, you know, the fastest growing sports media brand on the internet. We're a top four publisher of podcasts in the world. We're the top six distributed media company in the U.S. Like we've become very big, but we're still doing the same thing, you know, to, to a large degree that Dave was doing in 2004. And that's why I think it works. You know, there's a lot of, I guess the whole, you know, media landscape is sort of littered with digital media companies that... I don't want to say failed, but certainly didn't exit where they should have. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of mergers to sort of like stay alive. And um, it, it has been a struggle to sort of survive on advertising, which is the way most of digital media sort of built themselves, whether we're talking Vice or Refinery or BuzzFeed. I mean, we could go through a very long list that we don't need to right now, but you built your model. I mean, yes, you do a little bit of advertising for sure, and I'm sure the podcasting has grown that piece, but you sort of got forced to build your business away from advertising because a lot of, not all advertisers were embracing of the brand. Like, how do you think about like business mix? I mean, before we get to what you're doing with Jay and sort of the betting side of this, but like, how do you think about sort of the, the business side of what, what Barstool is? I mean, I think you got out of the subscription business recently. Like, what is the, how do you think about the different levers and the different pieces of monetization for the brand? Yeah, look, like we, nobody's ever really tried to help Barstool sports. In fact, we find the opposite, which is people yeah. would prefer we're not around. So when we built this business, you know, Dave had built it. It was by the time I got here, Dave had been doing Barstool for 12 years. Like he had a, he had a commerce business. He had an advertising business. He had people who would follow him to live events. Like he, he had all the, all the makings of a very diversified business. What we did is just really pour gasoline on that and to scale it. You know, I think I think what's what you're seeing in digital media, digital media in large part isn't that interesting because most people are just chasing a check. You know, you look at a brand like Complex. Complex gets a big deal with Go90 from Verizon. They get a big check. 
and they spend all their time, all their resource, all their editorial to give Go90 slash Verizon what they want. And that was, you know, Go90 isn't even around anymore is certainly insignificant if it is. We, we have never, you know, so what you see is media companies are driving all over the road based on where the money is. And what we've always done is to focus on the fans. If we do something and we can't get people attracted to it or to engage with it or to scale it, we'll move on. Um, and by staying true to that relationship, it's, it's, it's helped us make better decisions about our business. And our business is very diversified. We have a very big licensing business. We have a big advertising business. We have a big direct-to-consumer business. We have a commerce business. We have a live events business. We just finished an 18-stop amateur golf tour during COVID. Like nobody else is doing golf tours right now. Nobody else is doing live events. We did not cancel a single tour date for seven, the last seven months around a live golf tournament. So it's like, we we're nimble, we're sharp, we're very committed to what we're doing. We do it responsibly. And it's also, you know, our fans appreciate it. And that's the relationship that, that we're most interested in. And even adding on that, I think one a rare thing that Erica and I have, the DNA of Barcelona, like I just, I thought we would get advertising when I launched this thing. It became obvious to me in the very beginning that was not going to be realistic to sustain. So it was events, it was relationship with the fans, it was merch. And as we grew and as, you know, we've added people and as we had churning group and, and Penn, Eric and I, and I can see Erica being in the CEO position where it can be difficult. We've always had a very good relationship with turning money down if it's at the sacrifice of the brand. So that's probably a pretty unique relationship between yeah. content and the business side, but we really have never had a disagreement on, doesn't matter the price, doesn't matter. It, it, if it is going to hurt the brand overall, then we just won't do it. And, and that has kept, we're, we've never felt dependent on advertising ever. Yeah. You have a very passionate following. Who, who are the stoolies? Well, it's gigantic now. So, I mean, when I started it, I knew them all. It was like, I remember saying, if I ever don't reply to an email, you can like call me an asshole. Um, that obviously is not the case anymore. I barely have time to breathe. But, you know, and they still call you an asshole, I assume. Yeah, right. And we get, we bust balls. That's kind of what right. we do. But, but it is a very, and I mean this in a good way, it's an average group of people it's like somebody you go to bar to see a game girl guy but it, it's a mindset that is just basically you know not to take life too seriously and they're like i don't know 18 to 40 but it, it i i a lot of times say it, it's like the silent majority like you're you know a lot of them don't want politics in it they just want to you know go home laugh watch a game that type of thing they're they're a very everyday casual out in the streets, out in the bars, restaurants, normal group of people. And Jay, is that what attracted you to the Barstool brand was how broad it was in terms of, you know, it's not just, I mean, I think a lot of times we think of it like as a college brand and everyone's got, you know, their Barstool posters hanging or banners hanging in their, in their dorm room. But I assume you saw a much broader brand as Dave just described. Well, yeah. And I, um, you know, I've been familiar with the brand for a long time. I live in the Boston area. Um, I knew what it was, and it's obviously bigger in Boston than it is anywhere. But I would tell you that from my standpoint, you know, just traveling with Dave and Erica and Dan Katz and others and getting to know them really well 
And it's really what Erica and David both said on so far on this call, which is it's all about having a relationship with your fan and their, the loyalty of their audience is second to none of throw any brand out there, not, not within sports media or entertainment, just throw out a brand and you will rarely find allegiance and loyalty to a brand the way you will around Barstool that Dave founded in 2003 and has built into this great empire with Erica and Dan and others. So for me, it was, look, it's funny how, you know, hindsight's always 2020. And I've been asked the question so many times, like, oh man, that, that was, that was so smart to join forces with Barstool. But Dave's told this story a million times, you know, no, no other gaming company made an offer to join, to, to partner with them. And, and even the ones that they were looking to potentially partner with didn't want to use the Barstool brand. They wanted to use their own brand and have Dave and team feed into that brand. And we had our first meeting together, we did it in, in Dave and Erica's New York office. And you knew within, you know, I don't know, 20 minutes, Dave and Erica, 30 minutes, like you, you knew it was going to happen because all the big boxes were checked on both sides. They had what we didn't have, which is this great brand that resonates with, you know, as, as, as Dave said, 21 to 40, 45 year olds. Um, they love to gamble. 60% of them gamble and for over 40% of those are avid gamblers uh, from a sports betting standpoint. So they have the brand, they have the audience. We had the access to this opportunity for sports betting and we're, we're great operators. We know how to operate sports books and you put those together and we wanted to lead with their brand. So it made sense in, in those regards. And the, the more I got to know Dave and Erica and Dan and others at Barstool, the more respect I had for them and just how brilliant they are. I, I think I call David, you know, marketing genius all the time and it's exactly what he is. You know, Erica, before, you know, I, I know that advertising was hard in the beginning. I remember when I sat, I think your first office was a broom closet when I first met you at Barstool. And uh, it's come a long way from when, when we first sat down and you, you were joining. Um, you know, the brands that Dave talked about, that, it, that nobody was doing you any favors. I've seen a lot of brands now advertising and, and working with Barstool. What's changed? I mean, like, is, is it the diversification from male to female, or broadening the demo? Like, what? You know, can you give us some examples of like high-profile advertisers that weren't there when you got there several years ago that now are front and center? And like, what's changed? Is it the podcast? Like, what has transformed yeah. the way people see the Barstool brand and made it sort of okay for brands? Yeah, totally. That office was funny. Dave, Dave's office was right outside the elevator, so like. You would walk in and basically. I remember. Office, and mine was next to the trash. Like that. I had a better <laughs> office at that one than I do now. That's <laughs> true. He got screwed. But um, <laughs> I think it's a couple of things, Rich. One is we work. Okay, so you know that that's the thing with the relationship that that Dave started and everyone who Dave brought to Barstool had a deep connection with our audience and the Barstool brand means something. I mean that's. That's at the end of the day, what, what you cannot buy, you cannot manufacture, you can't data, data science your way to making a brand mean something. And this brand means something. And we take that responsibility really seriously. When I got to Barstool, there was probably, I don't know, under 10 advertisers in 2016. We now have, I think there are 900 to 1,000 different advertisers who we work with on an annual basis. And there's been a bunch of drivers for that. Number one is we work. So if you put your, you know, advertisers want to move product. At the end of the day, they can say whatever they want about brand safety. They can say whatever they want about 
the values of a marketing department. But if you're trying to sell fast food or alcohol or packaged goods or fitness apparel or whatever it may be, your job in a marketing department is to move product and we move product better than anybody else. I think the second thing is podcasting gave us a great vehicle for brands to be close to our personalities. Prior to doing podcasts, they were bloggers. So the blog advertising medium is, you know, I would say like advertorial or, ad, or, or display advertising. I think the other big difference with us is we're not, we don't think about display advertising. Every other media exec who I talk to talks about programmatic display. Like we don't, we don't even talk about that here. Like it's not interesting to us. What is interesting to us is how do you think about a brand that starts as a podcast and an advertiser that might go with that? How does that translate onto Twitch? How does that translate into a live event? How does that translate onto a t-shirt? How does that translate into a licensing relationship or a product development or a business development relationship? And that's what you've seen from our best advertisers. They come in, they renew very quickly. uh, They increase their spend exponentially. And then we start to do more and more things together in, in, you know, if you look at Pink Whitney, right? Pink Whitney is the number one flavored vodka in the world. And that was born out of an ad read that we did for Gallo a year ago, year and a half ago. So I think the big drivers are, you know, the other piece is that it's hard to get majority of advertising isn't working. You talk about this all the time, like the, the rapid decline of TV viewers, the aging out of TV, the lack of compelling ad placement in digital, the and also brands that don't matter. If someone at ESPN or Fox or NBC or Turner or Bleacher Report says, go buy this, I don't care. If Dave's like, I'm drinking this, I'm wearing that, people, it's sold out instantaneously. So our issue is actually keeping inventory and keeping our partners in inventory versus getting the spend in the first place. I would like to see drink drinking pink vodka. Sorry, Walt. I just was, had that image of him drinking pink vodka that I can't get out of my head. But I was going to say, maybe the ratings are down. It's because people are watching Dave and overseas troops watching the game as opposed yeah. to watching the game but itself. That, that's the other whole thing of it is that like the second screen experience is like yep. you wa- you're watching the game and you're watching your phone. Like everyone yep. is doing that. You're watching the game, watching your phone. What you're watching on the phone is Twitter or X. Yep. And that's really, I think, what we've done a great job of. And then where digital is becoming a first screen experience like Twitch, you know, you look at what Dan Katz did with NCAA 14 is he took an old video game. He invented a very fat coach and he had 170 people, 170,000 people watching him play. Yep. And so we're, we're just very in tune with what people are doing, what screen they're doing it on and how they want to engage. And also, it, it's a very similar life cycle, which I've said a lot to what we had in Boston when we launched, which is, you know, nobody hears of it. Then it starts growing. Then people are like, ooh, what's that? And then you start turning around. It's like everybody reads it, and it's commonplace. I think a huge misconception, which – and we did this on national scale. We grow. I, but a misconception I think a lot of people have, and I'm sure Jay doing all the research, we're not nearly as on-brand safe as like people say we are. It, it, there's there's a, a couple of the same articles out there that are recycled, but for the amount of content, the amount of stuff we do, we're not nearly as like provocative as people make it out to be. And anybody who really spends any time with the brand will realize pretty quickly it's just a comedy brand. And, and you know the salacious headlines are really few and far between and far less 
than almost every other network, every other media, like there's somehow something happens, like it, it's over. It's like our, they take ours from like 15 years ago on like a line from a blog. It, it is crazy. But to be brand safe, if somebody's willing to actually invest their research and time, there's never anybody who's come back and be like, yeah, research it. You guys are awful. We, I've never heard that since we've been doing it. So let's maybe try and pivot to talk about um, gambling, one of my favorite things um, to talk about, that is. I appreciate uh, your background. I just noticed it too. Yeah. Is that at me? No, that's just representing my team. That, By the that, way, I'm that's in the show right now. So I, I can't tell if you're making fun of your own team or not. I'm a Nick Foles uh, guy. No, I was talking to Jay about that earlier, that, that maybe we've made a mistake here to go with Carson in the last two days and should have stuck with, you know, what, Nick and, you know. Oh, you mean the guy who won your only Super Bowl and played the MVP and that you guys threw in the East River? You yeah, should maybe. I, I mean, the, the guy's this. a backup now, though. It's not like he's a, he's a starter anywhere yeah, else. Spot. Um, so we wanted to talk about how the deal, but before that, Dave, do you, like over the years, do you think you kind of gave DraftKings a free boost by talking about them, them and. Well, yeah, um, we built, we built DraftKings and we helped build FanDuel. <laughs> Before 100%. this even happened. Yeah. Anybody who says that is not true. I mean, I sat in a place in Nantucket. The Giraffe Kings guys flew to Nantucket and tried to offer me equity in the company so I wouldn't keep doing these deals where I switched back and forth. I mean, we were involved with them, and I know them intimately from day one. But, you know, that the whole gambling thing, this deal, all of it's good. I mean, and, and I respect those guys, but there's no doubt we helped build those businesses. So but how Jay, come there was never a deal with DraftKings? Like how, Jay, how did you make this happen? And how did this come about in general? What was your idea? And how did the discussion start? Well, uh, and, and Dave, Erica, feel free to jump in here because, you know, I think we were – we were sort of looking for each other. We just didn't find each other right away. You know, like we, we knew what we needed was a very sticky, loyal brand audience. Um, we knew we needed a brand to lead with because we have great casino brands, but in the world of sports betting, you know, our, our casino brands don't resonate, you know, with 21 to 40 year old mobile sports bettors, right? So you're going through who are your potential partners. And I probably honestly, you know, because Dave's right about this, like you, I'm, I'm picturing how do I present to my board of directors who've never understood Barstool, but you Google it and maybe the five most controversial things Dave's ever said are the first five things to pop up. So it probably took me a little while to come around to it. And then you, you start doing more and you're like this, there's so many things right about this. And then getting to know Dave personally and Erica personally. And for me, that was everything. Like the first meeting I had with Dave and Erica, you just saw how much respect they had for each other. and you know, how much Dave listens. Dave's a great listener and how thoughtful he is and how smart he is. Like it just, it came together because they had what we wanted and needed. We wanted to lead with their brand. Dave, of course, wanted to lead with his brand. I remember the conversation. I was like, hey, if we made up a sports betting brand and led with that versus leading with the Barstool brand, how would you feel? And what do you think the difference in potential would be? And he was like, I don't love the idea. If, we, if that's something you're passionate about, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. But I think you're going to miss out on 50% of the opportunity if we do that, because we can get so behind our brand better than anything else that we can do. So, and then I think from Dave and Erica's perspective, you know, they were looking for 
an operator that had access to this opportunity across the country. And we operate in 20 states more than any other gaming company in the world. And they wanted, I think, people that they could partner with. I mean, a big part of it for Dave, like, Dave, I don't want to speak for you, but it was like you wanted to partner with somebody that you you could get along with. Like we talk every day and mm-hmm. and oftentimes like we don't always agree, which is great. But he voices opinion. I voice mine. We figure stuff out and our teams get that. And we're both driven by the same thing, which is we're super competitive. We want to win. Um, I'm not confused about Dave and the power of Dave and Dave as a face. I'm okay being the role that I play. Like I'm not power hungry. Like it's just, this sort of works because Dave knows what he does. Erica knows what she does. I know what I do. And there's no power struggle. There's no real big disagreements. We're very aligned. And are they trying to get you to, are they trying to get you to start a podcast soon? <laughs> Honestly, no, because they know I wouldn't be good at it. So <laughs> they mess with me like, I'm going to be me and do me. And Dave and Eric are going to be them and do them. And we think that three of us do what we do better than anybody. So maybe just from a high level, you know, when you think about um, where somebody use or where somebody does sports betting, I mean, obviously we're seeing more and more states, and we can certainly dig into sort of your view, Jay, on like where legalization stands. But I guess this is sort of between all three of you. I don't know who best to start, but like you know, you've driven a lot of traffic to DraftKings and FanDuel historically. Now you're going to try to tell your fans who already have accounts set up, I assume, lots of them at FanDuel, at DraftKings, you're saying, hey, come over here. There's this new app called Barstool Sportsbook. Uh, I've downloaded it. I've got it live. Brandon, I think, saw it and used it this weekend because he was in Philly. Like, how easy is it to get people to move from one platform to a next? Like, is, is this an easy thing that you think you can do, or this is actually going to be very difficult and sort of require lots of incentives to get people to move? Dave, why don't you go first? Yeah. So I don't think it's easy, but you know, I've been confident in, in the beginning and even to go back to the DraftKings fan duel, there was draft street, like what we were great at and the way we built it. And I could say it was on purpose, but it wasn't the brand loyalty they'll follow. So they follow us not only online to podcast every medium. So we used to like literally have these bidding wars because it's always exclusive. And what we found with DraftKings is they would go to FanDuel and then they go back to DraftKings. Now people are going to have both. Like I already have it downloaded, but we're going to do content and we did it this past weekend, that's so uniquely tied into what we do, we'll offer things that you just can't get. Like tonight, we're doing the Overs Club, and we made a little spoof video, but you bet the over 100 bucks, you get a members-only jacket with the logo. That's more valuable than money for a lot of our people. So that's something that you know no one else can recreate. And a big part and it almost touches to the prior question, like why I don't think we necessarily got in a, a solid offer um, beforehand is we had worked with these companies for so long. And I think to a degree, they thought they had a handle on what we could deliver, but it had been years and years since Barstool had like a coordinated effort where there was no longer anybody else. So in this case, if you look at a lot of people, you're getting 10 different ads from 10 different, you know, sports books, casino, and it's all whitewash. It, it just, it's almost, you get zoned out. It's like the same thing over and over. For the first time in a long time for us in this space, 
It's just one singular message. It's not Dan on part of my take reading for one thing. I go on a show, I'm reading for something else. We're doing a live stream for a different. It's all one. And Barstool has universally, whether it be Pink Whitney, whether it be High Noon, when all of a sudden the messaging of, an, of our entire company, socially, everything focuses on one thing organically and we're all rowing together, it's very powerful. So is it easy to get people to switch? Not necessarily, no. I don't think it is and not everybody will or some people may try it and be like, you know what, I like these guys more. But I'm pretty confident we'll have a high rate of conversion because our people have followed us everywhere. There's choices in everything. Um, but we've typically been very good. It's like you can go to a liquor store and buy any seltzer you want or any pink, you know, or any vodka you want. They're choosing us. They choose us. This is also the first time we've put our brand on something. So we, you know, Pink Whitney's an incredible, this is the first time in Barstool's history that we have put our brand on somebody else's product and gotten behind it. And that, you know, you saw that this weekend with the excitement around it. It's, it's so connected. It's arterial to who Barstool is. And I think that that matters. The other thing is, I think Dave's exactly right. I, I think the big fantasy companies and even to a degree, the casino companies felt like, Hey, we've gotten, we've gotten as much as we can get from the Barstool audience. We're good. We don't, we don't need to acquire them. We've already gotten what we wanted from them. And then I think the last piece of it is that when you really look at what the differentiator is going to be in sports betting, it's going to be marketing and brand, right? Brand loyalty, brand trust. And we have, you know, what Jay bought into is not just a brand, it's a 17-year story. It's people who have been betting. It's Dave and Dan. People feel like they know Dave and Dan very intimately, and they do. And that level of trust is not something that that we believe that our competitors are going to be able to buy their way into. And that's why we're excited about this. It has our brand. We can market this as creatively and as barstool as we would like to. I think the things that you're going to see us do in responsible gaming, in the type of picks, the way we market the book itself, the way we bring the experience to life will be very different from everyone else. And I think people will want to come along for that ride. And if they have to choose between brand A, B, and C, and D that look exactly alike, and then Barstool, they're, they're going to give Barstool a shot. And, yeah, and I, I even, like, the number we, so we launched the app, obviously, this weekend, and we had a meeting before. But the number one complaint is literally that we're trying to deal with is the influx of people from other states where it's legal being like, when is it coming? Totally. Which is, probably good like complaint to have have you seen a traffic benefit in some of the regional casinos um that penn has just from the barstool halo it's on honestly uh well it's it's still so early on that because of covid you know we we announced this partnership in january we closed the deal in february we had these awesome march madness events that we had planned in a number of our properties that dave and dan and others at barstool were on the this traveling road show and hitting, you know, one property per week for March Madness. And um, we haven't been able to do that, right? Because it's, there's still, we have some capacity constraints around uh, how many games and at the blackjack tables we can have open, how many seats we can have open and slots and restaurants. So we'll get to that. That's something that honestly, Dave and Erica were probably, I don't know, as excited for that as they were even the online sports book, because They've had to be so creative over the years to create events 
in rented space. Like they make events <laughs> out of these like, you know, parking lots uh, set, you know, right outside the stadium for uh, college pregame. And it's bigger than ESPN's event, but it's done in a parking lot and with just them selling it, like they don't do any paid media. And so I think that we'll get to that. Um, we have a lot of plans. We're in the process of building and converting our existing sports books and building new ones that are all branded barstool, converting our sports bars to barstool branded sports bars in Detroit and Chicagoland, Cincinnati. Um, so we yeah, get we, some, we're going to get some pizza places. <laughs> they, they, but like a good example is like we have rough and rowdy, right? We have an amateur boxing promoter business. We are doing our next event on uh, right before Thanksgiving. We're doing it at a pen property. Like we will choose pen. We will do things at pen when we have a choice to be in market. Like that's where we're going to go. Instead of going to a comedy club in Chicago, we'll go to a pen property. So it's, we're so nimble and we can route anywhere. You know, we have agents approach us all the time of like, let us route for you. Let us route for you. And we're like, we don't have trouble routing. We just want to pick the place and we'll pick pen. Hey, and I, I wanted to make one more point too about the, the launch this weekend. Cause I don't want to gloss over and you were asking about, you know, our ability to convert. And let's just say that every stat we exceeded what we thought we could do this weekend. And you know, what's public right now is the number of downloads in Pennsylvania was almost 30,000 over the weekends. Um, that was a multiple of the, the number of downloads that any competitor in the space has ever had over the course of a weekend or on any given day. Um, we had the number one ranked sports app throughout almost the entire weekend, and we're only in one state. And that's not sports betting app, that is sports app. So we were number one over ESPN and NFL and NFL Network thanks to the great work of Dave and Erica and Dan and others. And then on the Penn side, you know, we built a great app um, and we're happy with the performance. We got, we have a 4.9 rating with almost 2000 reviews after the first weekend. So we're just getting started, but I think, you know, we're, we're executing the way that we designed to execute. Uh, everybody at Barstool is doing their part. Everybody at Penn stepping up and um, you know, we've had a, a real success story over the first weekend and we just want to build on it from here. Curious about hey, how how important is technology to the the better experience, and how are you differentiating on UI UX and stuff like that, or is it just simply all about marketing and leveraging the barstool brand? Well, I'll I'll speak first, but Dave and Erica jump in because we we've talked about this so much internally. Dave and Erica were very clear when we were working on the designing this app and then talking to our engineering team and product development that they just wanted the app to be competitive from a tech standpoint. It didn't have to be number one and have everything better than everybody else, but it's gotta be competitive. And we wanted to make sure that the UI UX was great and what Dave and Erica cared about more than and, anything. And hold, and hold on, what is table stakes? Just to be clear, like when you say competitive, what is table stakes to be good in technology for sports betting? Like what do you need Draft, to do? DraftKings FanDuel got to be at that level right those are the two that we 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 anticipate we will be top three market share in every state we operate we hope to be number one but we're gonna be top three everywhere so you got to be as good as DraftKings, FanDuel, and they and then really it was about the the integration of the content that dave and dan would create and if you watched what happened this weekend it was amazing it was it went how we planned it to go you know like they're creating these really unique betting options that you can only do on the barstool sportsbook app 
and then you can bet with Dave or against Dave. You can fade Dan. You can bet with Dan. And then you watch them watch the games, and, and everybody's going nuts, either rooting for them or against them. And it, it's, it's cultural. You know, Erica talks about this all the time, that we're going to make sports betting, of course, in a responsible way, but make it more cultural. It's, it, the, the difference between our app and everyone else's, if I could simplify it, is that ours is going to be, you go to our app to spend time because it's entertaining. Sports betting should be fun. And I think we've gotten away from that. And most everybody else's apps are very transactional. You go, you bet a game, you watch the game, you go back, you bet another game. You're going to stay on our app and you're going to have fun. And you're going to, because there's all these new betting options all day throughout the day with content creators at Barstool. Will the media clips be in the app itself? Or is it just going to be kind of, you know, tied to what Dave's doing externally? We've talked about sort of future state. You know, we would love to have that sports book app maybe be, true maybe a true platform for other things um right now it's about sports betting very soon it'll be online casino as part of that offering as well um but you can imagine the conversations we're having internally about what else it can do down the road but another example is for me from the gambling is what jay said i i i was just like look at those guys if you gave me that replicate it fanduel DraftKings, just make it easy to use and that's that's all we wanted and then the ability to integrate our content and I think the good thing from our perspective is we are at like the nascent, and it's already working just the basics. We're at the nascent stage of what we're going to do with integration with content in the app. And when I say nascent, like very nascent, like we have a laundry list of things, but it was get the app. And a lot of people got to remember, uh, not remember, but Penn had already started the app before our deal. So it was already well under way when Barstool came up. So Dan and I said, I was like, we want this, 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 this will work. This will work. And a lot of it are going to be rolled out as we move. Um, what we just unveiled, which worked tremendously well is again, like page one, paragraph one of a very long book of what we'd like to do with it. The other thing is we're already also rich. The other last thing is that we're experimenting with the content, um, betting experience as we speak. So we have another app called Play Barstool, which is free to play. So if you're not in the state of Pennsylvania, you can play free to play. We've, we created- I've already bet on, I bet on a Jenga game so far. All right, there you go. Yeah. But it's an amazing experience where you can watch a bunch of Barstool personalities who you love or you hate. You, you get a, you, you get a graphics and a music package that looks like you're watching ESPN or NBC. The joke is very funny. You get commentators, and then you can bet on who you think is going to win Jenga. Uh, you're entered in for sweepstakes. It's legal in all 50 states. So, like, we're already experimenting with the content betting environment, and we're doing it in a way where you can participate even if you're outside of the state of Pennsylvania. So, when you think about the competitors, obviously, FanDuel's aligned themselves with Fox. Uh, just last week, obviously, DraftKings aligned themselves with ESPN. Sort of how do you differentiate yourselves? I mean, obviously, the Barstool brand is very different than Fox and ESPN, but there are some heavyweights. Obviously, they have a lot of sports rights and a lot of, you know, media time on Sunday afternoons. Like, how do you think competitively about sort of those two alignments versus the Barstool pen alignment? I mean, I'll, I'll take a first stab. If you look at, you know, the average age of a television viewer, Rich, is what, 65? Like, they're old. Uh, I think that what you get when you do a deal with a traditional media network or a legacy company is you get a legacy deal. You're going to get a 30 second spot. You're going to get one graphic unit. 
You're going to be held to those specifications. They're great partnerships. Yes, they have incredible rights. Yes, they have massive promotional platforms, but they don't have their brand. Ours has our brand. And then the second piece of it is if you look at, we had a media plan that we thought we would do for the month of September and October. We blew through it in 72 hours in terms of the deliverables that we had to pen. So we have people talking, encouraging, playing, making fun, making content, making humor 24 seven, which is just a massive differentiator from what you're going to find from truly a legacy, very structured, financially engineered partnership. This was never a financially engineered partnership. This was truly a partnership where we wanted the best in class of what Penn had and the best in class of what Barstool had and to put them together. That's, I think it's just, you're gonna see it be massively different. I think too, and uh, Dave, you might have some thoughts on this to add, but one of the things we have that no one else has, none of those other partnerships is that we could not be more aligned um, everything we do, it's all about how to create value ultimately for Barstool and the fans, which is great for Penn and Penn shareholders. So there's just never confusion. You know, Dave, Dave and Erica and Big Cat and others at Barstool, when we acquired a 36% ownership position, they got paid more in Penn stock than they did in cash. And that's a big deal. So whenever, when we were meeting with those big media companies that you mentioned, and they have some great people there, they have some really smart people, but the conversations ultimately at the end of the day ended up being about an ad deal. You know, how, how much are you willing to pay us a year to support your product? And we just weren't looking for a relationship like that. Dave and Erica, I mean, here's the beauty of what we just did in Pennsylvania for the first weekend. Because think about all the records we broke about downloads and we'll share more publicly soon. But think about it this way. We spent zero dollars in paid media. Zero. Not, not a cent. Like, who, how, how can you launch a product and not have paid media only with a company like Barstool? Because they are great at what they do and their fans are loyal. And they're, You're not buying Facebook install ads. You're not buying Instagram install ads. You're just literally doing it off of Dave's media and America's media accounts. That is correct. And the other part, and I've been on the other side of this, and I think we're great with advertisers. So even take aside this deal, any advertiser, I think we we generally deliver in spades, you know, the results that our competitors do. But I'm guessing in the in the meetings with the big media companies, the personalities aren't in that meeting. And to be honest, the ones delivering the message don't really care. Like, you know, it, it so, you know, if Terry Bradshaw, whoever it is, is reading an ad or is it like, do they care? Like when we had 10 different sports books advertising, are we caring like we do now? Because the way the relation is set up, we're sitting around brainstorming and in doing it. It's just very different. And that's not to say those guys are for sure going to be huge competitors. They have huge databases. They've been doing it for a while and they're spending gazillions of dollars on advertising. But listening from the business side, that's an advantage. Like I, I, I tweeted this out. I want them to spend it. If, if I, the, a lot of the deals they're mentioning, it's like, if we had that opportunity to do it, I'm like, no chance are we doing that. There's a million better ways for us to spend money than that. So to me, I, that's good. It, it, you know, I, I think I tweeted out jokingly, but DraftKings spent, you know, $10 billion to do the ESPN deal to get their message across. I spent 10 bucks on a slice of pizza. That's kind of the truth. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, we have a lot of Q&A from the audience here, so let's try and bang through some of them rapid fire. I'm going to start with Mike Benevento's question, which is gaming and financial stocks and media are all high re highly regulated industries. How do you navigate these regulators and still remain authentic? So I assume that's the media authentic. Well, we have the, the, the <laughs> 10 guys sent a lawyer who lives with us now. And really <laughs> the main thing that we know is, is responsible gambling, those guidelines. Um, you know, we don't talk about public officials like I used to if something happened. That was part. And, and we laid these guardrails, by the way, from like day one meeting. It's like, Jay's like, can you do this, this, this? It's like, yep, we can do this, 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 as long as you know the playing field. And then when I'm doing the day trading, which I didn't anticipate, I make it crystal clear. Like, I'm not a financial advisor. I have a huge amount of Penn stock. I want it to go up. I make money if Penn goes up. So it's my own money, you know? So it, it, I'm very clear with that. And I take it as a good sign. They almost have said nothing like, hey, you can't do that. So the messaging is very clear. And I don't have any information. So it's like, I'm just doing you know, what I feel in the moment. The hey, other thing I, oh, God. You, you, you go, Erica. No, I was going to say, the other thing I would say is when you look at, from a compliance perspective, responsible gaming, 1-800-GAMBLER is very, very important in the casino and the sports betting industry. Do you remember when like Virgin America made the seatbelt commercial that was actually cool that you wanted to watch versus like watching the usual like pilot guy give the seatbelt commercial? We're going to do that we're going to make responsible gaming a conversation. We're going to make it interesting. So not only did we build all the process, not only did we get the lawyer to live with us, not only did Dave and everyone in content agree to it, but I think what we will do is to actually make things stick, including the things of like, hey, know your limits. Let's switch over to a, a question from Matt Janiga. Are you surprised with the with given the expansion of legal betting, that the NFL ratings aren't better? Um, is it the sports crowding, social issues? Kind of what's your view on why we're not seeing better better ratings? It seems like everyone's geared up to see this big, once football came back especially, uh, this big push, and it's just not happening. I have no idea. I feel like I, I know this is like one of the big bullet points on people disconnected. I have no idea. Like, wasn't the NBA, didn't they say one week it was down, the next week it's up. Yeah. I see Cuban says up, then I see Trump says down. I don't know. I have no idea. I watch football. The NFL, the NFL used to say it's tune out, but there have also been some great games. I mean, honestly, it's you know, there shouldn't be much tune out. Like, I'd be curious what the Sunday they night were up game last was night. the Patriots. Yeah, they were up last night. They always say got, this every you year. Always, first of all, first of all, you always get your Patriots plug in. Like it's just impossible to take the Patriots plug out of this. Like every that single was time. That they lost. They lost. I, I know, but she still had an even you think, losing. Brady would have gotten in the end zone. Cam looked great. No. Amazing. Yeah. He he did look awesome, but do you think Brady would have gotten that last surprise. one? No, Brady has not looked great so far. No. Okay, so let's go back to technology. Ben Abrams asks, is it important or would it be a future goal to be vertically integrated from a technology perspective versus outsourcing to Canby, which you and others use? I don't know. I mean, we have plenty of time to figure this out. I think, you know, that question comes up a lot because of the DraftKings SPAC with SB Tech, which is Canby's competitor. And um, we'll see how that plays out. I mean, look, Canby is a B2B provider of, you know, trading services and risk management. 
We like working with them. We chose them because we thought they were the best in the space at what they do. Does it make sense for us to be more vertical in our tech stack and that relationship to be more strategic down the road? I don't know. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. I mean, look, a lot of companies try to do this and they fail because you're trying to take you know, a B2B culture and then turn it into a B2C and you lose the other B2B customers. And I, I, I don't know yet. Um, Christian, the CEO, it can be the great guy. He's really smart. We talked just the other day and I think we're all waiting to see how this plays out. But for now, we're their biggest, most important customer in the U.S., and they're bending over backwards to get us everything we need for, for the end user and for the UI UX. So we like it the way it is today. Okay, I think we'll go, we'll go next to Nigel's question. As someone who has, in a, I think he means appreciation for how people in the U.S. used to bet on sports, what will it take to move offshore money back onshore? And can pricing be competitive? I've always said one of the big offshore things is you're liable just to be like shut down at any moment. You know, they aren't legal and, and at any moment you could just lose everything you have. Um, but we're not trying to win. And this has been an ongoing thing on, on pricing of bets. You've got to be competitive clearly, but like the free $500 offer, those aren't good. If, if people are shopping those, that's not a real customer. Someone's just going around. Ours may do both. But that's that's not how we plan on winning. Um, so I, I don't really view that as a concern. Um, Jordan has a question on, uh, I mean, this is a question that I guess everyone is focused on right now. But from a legalization on the regulatory side, uh, maybe Jay jump in. What do you think happens in New York? I mean, I guess New York and California are two of the big elephants that are sitting out there. Like, where do you think we are? I mean, could we get some good news soon in New York? In Massachusetts, I know, sort of, we thought we were going in the right direction, then it slowed down. Like, where are we? Well, I'll start with Massachusetts. Um, I think we are going in the right direction. I think it probably would have been strongly considered, if not passed legally, if not for COVID. And I think state lawmakers right now, rightfully so, are focused on, you know, post-COVID and there's some other priorities. I think Massachusetts happens soon, given the momentum that it has. New York, it's it's not a matter, from my perspective, it's not a matter of if, but when. Remember, New York already legalized retail sports books. So it's not like they're anti-sports betting. They have to figure out how and when and, and, and what structure and what tax rate do you go live from a mobile standpoint. So I'm bullish on both of those states, Massachusetts probably even more so happening sooner than New York, but I think New York is a win, not if. California is a tricky one, right? Because you have like, you know, hundreds of tribal casinos, maybe with different interests there. You don't have any commercial casino operators. And so that one, it's, it's just hard to predict. My crystal ball on, on both Florida and California is pretty hazy. Um, okay, we have a couple of questions from David Levy. The second one here is, are you worried about the politic or, or that politics, Dave, might? All right. Uh, he's asking if <laughs> it's the way it's written, uh, um, if COVID and mass and things like that and, and political concerns um, could get in the way of um, your consumer loyalty and betting. No, some of, your, some of your commentary on that. No, I know I you've been, I know you've been outspoken 
like there was a whole bunch of back and forth with Elon uh, at one point, so on and so forth. Yeah, well, the, yeah, you know, you know, that's another one of the things. I, I've actually been on both sides. I was like, I did pro mask rant, and then letting people. I think people should be allowed to make decisions, but no, I haven't said anything too much. No, I, I'm not worried about it. I will say I did a tweet yesterday. I don't know if you saw it, Erica. People construed it as a mask tweet where I'm like, the uh, fresh air is more valuable than money. And everyone's like, everyone's like, oh, you should wear a mask. I just talked about been inside up, all day. I just walked up in this gambling house for 48 hours. I want fresh air. That was all that was about. People thought I was talking about COVID. <laughs> Look, I, I think the big thing, uh, you know, the inter- everyone is pissed off constantly on the internet and they're going to they're going to take whatever is said and make it extremely polarizing. You live on the internet. So of course, everyone's going to have an opinion. I think what makes Barstool very interesting is that you never really know what Dave's going to do next. And that's true for so many people here, all of our best people here. So it keeps people interested. And, you know, similar to, let's say even WWE, some days you love them, some days you hate them, some days you're with them, some days you're not, but it's an ongoing dialogue and relationship. And we try to stay out of politics, even though sometimes, obviously, opportunities present themselves. But I've always said, and, and it depends on side, we have as many people calling us like liberal yeah. jerks as we do of like conservative like assholes. Like, okay. and to me, that's exactly where you want to be. It, yeah. it, it you know, it, we really don't. We have a mixed group of people, mixed group of feelings. I actually don't think anyone truly knows my politics because I've never truly said them, and I, everything's individual. So it's uh. You know, I'm not worried about that at all. So, Jay, when you think about sports betting, I think you mentioned before that iGaming or iCasino is coming shortly. Is is betting like a good business or is it is it really all about getting the user onboarded into the sports book so that you can get them into casino and that's really the real opportunity is like, is this just a mousetrap for, 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 for gambling, uh, other forms of gambling versus the sports bet, betting business actually being a good business in and of itself? Well, look, Sport, they're both great businesses as standalone and we're not getting into the sports betting business exclusively to create a funnel into the casino because you're only going to convert you know some less than 50 percent of those customers into casino anyway and so if your standalone sports betting experience isn't competitive doesn't have a great ui ux isn't entertaining you're going to lose people over time and we have the barstool name on our sports book and our online casino is going to be branded Barstool. So what we're looking to do is to create really fun, exciting, entertaining opportunities for people to engage with sports betting and blackjack, roulette, craps, whatever games you like in the casino. And I think that like you're seeing with our sports betting app and the, the integration of content, you're going to see something similar on the casino side. And there'll probably be opportunities to play you know, Dave Portnoy's blackjack. And we've got lots of ideas that we're just scratching the surface with now, but we look, sports betting needs to be a great standalone business for us. And it will be. And um, the state in the casino, same thing. So when you think about um, sort of like what keeps the, an app sticky, uh, you know, we live in a world of Bloomberg terminals and it's like, you can't get away from Bloomberg because of the sort of social chat side of it. And that's just become mission critical to any trader on wall street. It, what can you do to the, the Barstool Sportsbook app to sort of make it stickier? Like, is there a social element? And like, where are you in thinking about how you keep people from going for the best offer, you know, and leaving to go to a FanDuel or to a, to a DraftKings? Like, what what makes them stick inside your app? For well, me, I, I, 
I don't think they have to necessarily be in the app, but they're on our app. And, and, you know, it it goes all the way back to the beginning of Barstool, to be honest. It's like when we could have sent emails and blasts. And I I remember somebody being like, why don't you do this? It bounces around the internet. You can ping 12 people instead of one. I'm like, well, 11 people don't know who we are. I talk to the others and they buy merch. So we've been around, I think, maybe the biggest testament to Barstool, 17, 18 years. We've been cool. We've been relevant. And our audience stays. They, I remember Churning Group, when they invested in us, when they looked at my Google Analytics, and they like, people are using this like a fantasy app. That's right. So we speak to our people. We've gone back and forth with this with Jay uh, in, in the beginning because we're so different than everybody else. It's like, we don't want to send emails. We want to do this. We don't want to do that. And it's like, why? It's like, because we talk to them every day. Like, we don't, we, they're already listening to us. If I send something out, on my Instagram, my Twitter, Dan does our engagements through the roof. So we don't crush them with the other stuff. We talk when we want to talk in a natural way and they come back because they're engaged in the conversation. And then we tie in, there's a seamless, all right, they talked about this on Barstool and then you go to the app and it's there, it's connected like the Overs Club, what we're doing today. So I don't, to me, the gambling app, Largely is the gambling. You go there to gamble. If you're going to talk to us, that's the content side. I think the other thing is, so we reach 90 million people a month, which is a big audience. If is you that a U- that's a, that's a U.S. audience, Eric, or that's globally? How do you think that's about global, that? That's global, but you know, we've got one guy in the UK, big Canadian fans. Um, but anyways, but if does, you does he like Liverpool though? Does he like Liverpool? He does that's not. All, he does not. Uh, then he's out. He's out. That's it. I hear you. I'm a Chelsea girl. But um, if you look at the engagement of any sports media company, any entertainment company, or any sports book, and you compare them to ours, they are fractional. And so when you have people responding to you, uh, engaging with you, talking to you on Twitter, like we're able to talk to places on in places where people talk on the internet. We don't need to create community inside of the app because we have a massive community that lives everywhere else. I think when you don't have community everywhere else, you try to gamify it in the app. And that's where Dave's exactly right, which is what we're actually sensitive to is not being like everyone else because it destroys the ultimate value. The only reason those groups want community is to drive conversion. We're better off creating a deeper relationship with our audience and finding new people to have, have relationships with. And the people that want to should bet. And, and it's just such a, it, it, it's gone as good as it can go, but it's, it's the first time, like when I did the churn deal, we didn't really deal with them. With Penn, we're intimately linked and talking about everything. Barstool's so different. The way we've come up is so different. The way we look at the world is different. And like, even that question is a question I'm sure everyone talks about. And to me, I, if I heard that in Penn, I'd almost be like, what, what's that question about? Like, we just look at the world so differently, the way we market things differently. It's almost like you take your playbook, and it's not just Penn, it's everyone who's marketing. They're all similar. And we just have a totally different playbook. And to be honest, we don't even know what's in the playbook because they haven't written it yet. It's like an ongoing thing. How long is it going to take you guys to be a top three sports app? I mean, not sports app, betting app. I see you're already number one in, in sports. Um, we'll, we'll see how this plays out. Um, we're really happy with what happened in the first weekend. And um, 
again, given that we literally spent zero in traditional paid media, paid advertising, um, we think we can get there pretty quick. I just have a quick <laughs> one in, in game betting, one of my other favorite things to talk about. Um, I mean, given Dave's putting out this great content um, in the middle of the games, um, what are the plans there? How big do you think that can be? You know, seems like huge. Huge. I think it's the live streams. I mean, we're on it all this weekend, holding the phones, looking at lines, forgetting the cameras are on, just doing it authentically, being like, oh, look at this. I mean, it, it, it's a big part of what we do. And, and just from a, you know, you think about the European market, which is a more mature sports betting market and in-game bets are, uh, the last time I saw the stat, 85% of total bets, 90% versus pre-event uh, bets. So I think you're going to find that in the U.S. it'll take some time to get there, but you know, we think we have a really great platform to do it and we have the best content in the U.S. to do it with because of everything that Dave just described. So I think sub 50 today, it'll it'll grow to over 50% pretty quickly here in the U.S. Is that like a point of differentiation, obviously, if Dave's sitting there talking about some particular line on something that's going on in the game that's not going to be available in another app? Is that the mindset or is it is that are the, the in-game bets more commoditized because they're basically just the line moving on the game? Well, a lot of it's like what's fun, right? Like I, I keep going back to, and Dave said, like, we're not trying to win on having the best odds on every game, every match, every in-game wager. Like that's, we're not going to win by doing that because you won't have any profit margin. We want to have competitive lines and we always will. And we'll have special promotions or odds boosts that Dave and Dan really like, like we did throughout this weekend. But importantly, you're going to spend time betting in-game because Dave and Dan are betting in game yeah. and you see you have a live stream of them and you like seeing them celebrate or cry in agony when they lose bets and you want to be a part of that. So that's, you know, it's entertainment. It's, it's, that's, that's a, that's a differentiation for us. I, I sort of like the cry in agony, but you know, that's that just was last me. night. Simplistically like speaking, it's kind of what I've said all along. What are you buying? Like if you put all the sports gambling, most everything can be bought. Like technology can be bought if you're doing traditional lines, like all the companies can do them, you ours can't be bought. Like it, you can't, there's no amount of money that you can spend on, to get what we will deliver. People have tried, but you can't. It's a 17 year story of authenticity. And that really, that is the differentiator. Everything else, like, I mean, we've talked, we could throw money at a lot of things the other people are, but we don't think it's the right move. Okay, there could be an opportunity to get Verizon on board with an ad dollars for their 5G who can get in the, you know, the we'll in-game betting. Should be a yeah, no, it's a great, I mean, if you look at it, we launched, we've launched 32 shows since the beginning of COVID. We launched six shows in the last week and a half. Pepsi's on board, Hooters is on board. And they're, you know, our sports betting shows are, and our football shows are, they're sports shows. So we will bring traditional non-endemic gambling brands or non-endemic brands into sports betting content. And I think that's, that's also what you're going to find is very different. And I assume that's what every TV advertiser is sort of looking at right now is like, they know their ads are going up on TV, but they're getting a lot less engagement with that advertising than they used to. And so here's a way of extending your TV buy into some place where you really can get authentic engagement with the brand. Yeah. I mean, look at it. It's an election year. So local inventory is tight. They're having to do nope. all their buys locally. So that's tough. They're being compressed into one commercial pod. So you see MGM to PointsBet to DraftKings to FanDuel, they all look alike. 
and they're very expensive and the ROI is, is mathematically certain to, dis- to decrease. We're I mean, being we told the, the show, the NFL sports advisors, which I think is like the best NFL gambling show that maybe has ever existed. But we talked about buying TV time yeah. and they, the network's like, well, we used to just bleep out the swearing and they're like, you can't do the bleeps. And we're like, all right, well, we don't want it then. So it, it, it you know, it, it's hard. It's hard to have impactful, creative advertising in little yeah. spots, especially when it's coming from traditional media. Okay, two questions, and we're going to end it. We're being told we, we're getting the, the gag sign. we got to go stage left. But, like, real quick, in five years, what does Barstool and Penn, what does this relationship look like? Like, what's happened over the next five years? What does the Barstool brand look like? And then, uh, two, who's winning the Super Bowl this year? Dave, go for it on both. I can take two Patriots. And then, you know, one, I don't know. I, I, I've said this a bunch. Who, who knows? Uh, you just I have no idea. I didn't. You know, I didn't know that TikTok would exist a year ago. So it, it's almost impossible. Like, hey, five years out, what's it going to look like? I, I just have no idea. Uh, hopefully we'll be as equally nimble and quick to capitalize on opportunities. But five years, who knows? Are you starting a, your own Robin Hood so you can do like actual stock trading? I mean, it feels like we're going down that path. If I didn't have to get licensed and I and, and I could do it, I would just do my own like hedge fund. I could probably raise like a good trillion dollars in 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're going to end it there. Uh, Dave, That's Jay, great. Erica, that was a great way to kind of put an end on it. Thank you for doing this. Uh, we've got a ton of engagement around this, and thanks again. Thank right. you, guys. Thanks, Red C. Brandon C. Walt. And we'll get Brandon some merch. I, I got Brandon covered. Okay. <laughs> thanks. We'll Bye. see you, everyone.